All right, everybody, we have a we've been trying to figure out the intro for this podcast uh, for the last five minutes. And it's difficult because as much as we try to be serious, this is something we actually do uh, become a little bit more serious in this discussion in recent uh, in light of recent events. We wanted to talk uh, about some of the gun violence in not the way you hear on television all the time, one side versus the other. Uh, we wanted to talk about it from a, a bunch of different perspectives. And we brought in a friend of the show, Chris Spangle, who is um, not necessarily part of the Libertarian Party, but uh, has many libertarian views. And in this podcast, we have what I believe is a great discussion and a well-rounded discussion about those recent events. And our goal here, and I think you can agree with this, Al, is not to anger anybody on any side but it's to say let's listen to each other and see if we have any ways of maybe not solving but figuring out a way to work toward a solution in um, trying to help this country and everybody involved fix this I completely agree with that. Let's uh, let's just try and keep having this debate until something happens because this can't continue. So with that, we welcome in uh, our guest this week. You may have heard him early on in some of our podcasts when we were just getting started. Uh, Chris Spangle, who is a... uh, Are you still a libertarian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You are. Okay. Chris, uh, tell them a little bit about you, and then we'll get going into this talk. Yeah, so I host the We Are Libertarians podcast, and I live here in Indianapolis, uh, and I've been a podcaster for like 10 years, and it's one of uh, the great joys to come on Frank and Al's podcast. I think they do an amazing job, and I'm so glad to be with you guys. All right, so let's get to it. Here's the discussion. We think you're going to learn something from it and hope, hopefully That's think it. a lot. Yeah, okay. Well, Chris, that uh, I'm so glad when you can come on just because not only do you explain your points well, whether I agree or disagree, it's just like I, it just reminds me of what I've always thought and what Frank and I have always kind of been on with this podcast is that like you can agree with certain things, you can disagree with certain things, but fundamentally, fundamentally, I feel like I walk away still liking and respect you as a person and your point of view, because I, I think what's lost a lot of times when we have these conversations is at the end of the day, nobody wants mass shootings. At the end of the day, nobody wants to see people fail, hopefully. Right. So the, if we, we just remember that like we're all trying to get to the same place you know it's almost like we're trapped in like a well you know and and chris is like hey let's uh let's try and climb out and i'm like no let's try and uh, increase the water level and hopefully that'll push us up we're instead of yelling at each other we can both say well we're both trying to get to the top i don't know if that's the best way to to do that maybe we'll do it this way and and i think we forget that we're all trying to get out of this well that we're in so with that said uh you know obviously Kristen, this is uh when this comes out thursday there'll be a little bit of cooling time on the stove for the story but i hope frank and chris that we as a country uh don't just need four days for two um mass shootings uh within 12 hours of each other i hope that's not old news by thursday and if it is uh shame on all of us uh, but Chris, what is obviously? A, I, I think we can skip the part of y- you being saddened by this because you are a guy with a heart and you're a good person. Of course, I'm sure that this tragedy, uh, these tragedies, plural, uh, have affected you. But what is a libertarian stance 
on this. Um, what's the kind of the official stance on gun ownership and all the, all the the good stuff underneath there? Yeah. So you know, like you said, Skippy. I mean, the guy in Dayton just killed his sister as part of this. I mean, uh, that came across as we were doing the show, and I about teared up. I mean, it just it's awful, and I, and I think that the. I don't like the conversation around this stuff because I think it is such a multivariate problem. And it really were like people who just blame the gun are are well-meaning but they're they're also dismissive of having a larger conversation of why are these particular individuals doing these things. I I do think that in the case of these two shootings for instance White supremacy and their thinking and a culture of violence and possibly even the words spoken by various political figures do play a role. But why are people attracted to to evil ideologies like that? It's because something is missing in their own lives. So what? how have we structured society or how are we existing in this day and age that forces young men to go and find meaning in evil ideologies or belonging in places that are that are just very dark and that's a very complicated question i think the way that we handle mental health is also very crucial i'm about to start studying and doing a show on deinstitutionalization so starting under kennedy uh and really fulminating under ronald reagan in the 80s you had something called deinstitutionalization. So instead of a network of asylums and mental hospitals in America, we now have nothing. <laughs> and we just let them out on the street. That's we, a fancy way to say open the doors and save some money. We literally here in Indianapolis, Central State, it's now apartment buildings, Central State, and they just closed LaRue Carter, the last hospital in the state that handles mental health issues. Uh, they literally opened the doors of Central State and bust them downtown, and they become ho- they became homeless men. And so you look at the homeless issue, you look at the issues of mass violence, uh, and why what young white men uh, and why why they're turning to terrorism. I mean, there's there's no other word than terrorism for what this for what the kid in Texas did. I mean, he wrote a manifesto. The the kid in New Zealand that's terrorism, and I think the kid Dylan. In South Carolina, said he wanted to start a race war, and he went in and killed nine old black folks in a church. Exactly, and so what? Much like we would look at ISIS members and what are the contributing factors to them turning to terrorism, that's a, a again a broad, complex question, and I think we ought to look at this issue like that. So I am completely for uh, for. I advocate fully for gun rights, and I'm unapologetic about that because I think every person has a right to protect their person, their property, their family, and their community. And I, I, you know, I don't think that it is the only solution to this problem. And I think that when we make it the only solution, we're going to institute common sense gun laws that. When you look at most of the mass shootings over the last three or four years, most of those guys passed background checks. They bought guns legally. Uh, and it was because the FBI failed in the way that they were doing the checks or the Air Force forgot to check a box. Like The, the solutions that I think gun control advocates in these mass shootings advocate for usually aren't going to solve the problem. It's, it's the mental health issue that really needs to be solved. And that's something that I think most Americans can work together on and find agreement in and will value uh, benefit our society that will not take away anybody's 
rights to gun ownership. It will save lives. It will protect families from, you know, like in the case of the Dayton shooter, somebody who very clearly was a a, a seriously disturbed person. I, I I I totally understand a lot of the arguments of that the let's just generalize the left makes about these issues, and I understand and appreciate it. I just don't agree that that's the solution. I, I look at these guys and I go, I'm not willing to score cheap political points. Like the guy who Scott shot Steve Scalise and the congressman, that guy was a, a, a Democrat who wrote a manifesto saying that he was doing it to because he hated Donald Trump. It's like that guy didn't go and kill people because uh, Nancy Pelosi told him to do it. He did it because he's a mentally deranged person and we don't have any path. make the argument that Pelosi has uh, sparked the same outrage towards immigrants as our sitting president. Uh, no. Do you think that's kind of a spirit to make? No, I, I totally agree that Donald Trump is a demagogue when it comes to immigration issues. His recent comments about Ilhan Omar are white supremacist. I mean, the idea that you're not an American and you don't belong in this country if you're not like Donald Trump is clearly bigoted. Uh, so I do totally understand that, but I, I think rational, reasonable people like you and I look at that and go, well, that's his opinion or that's they, they can separate that out. But what do you do with a young man in your family that you see warning signs and you have no path to get that person help because it doesn't exist? And so instead of working on the problem of helping families possibly institutionalize or medicate young men like this, we sit and argue about immigration and gun control and Donald Trump. And the problem just continues and it never gets fixed because we're not talking about the thing that, in my opinion, Frank, that would actually fix it. I want to ask Frank a question. Frank, what what conversation are the three of us having right now if instead of two young uh, white men, uh, two, uh, two men of Arab descent walked into a sorority on insert university here's campus and opened, yelled Allah Akbar, and killed the exact same amount of people and injured the exact same amount of people on a college campus and at a Christian church. What conversation are we having? Are we talking about mental illness? Are we talking about? Well, I think you're I, I, I think you're tying a couple of different things together there. One, uh, to to Chris's point, he and I agree with these shootings should be treated like terrorism, first of all. Um, is that what that's what you said, Chris? Yeah, there, there's there, in the case of the Texas shooting, it's 100% domestic terrorism. It's and, a, and it's for, for the record, for the record, out my answer if it were ISIS shooters, it would be the exact same. There's contributing right. factors that lead young men to join ISIS that are uh, th- that's it's a, a multifaceted problem, it's not just a single issue. There's yeah. something that ties that people when there's not all, I don't want to say all people because that's not what it is, but there's some super religious people that also have some other kind of click, something going on where they want to get rid of people who aren't like them, I guess. And do I think it would be treated differently in the media? I, I, I think it probably would. I think you would, you'd have probably a flip of the, because a lot of what I'm hearing right now is almost that same kind of question you're asking, but it's not even that question. It's that same kind of point being made. What if these people look like this? Well, Chris and I are both saying the same thing from our perspectives, at least, that, yeah, 
it's that's that's terrorism. That's a that's this is bad. And these people should be thought of in that way as opposed to like, oh, this is just a you know, I'm sorry, just, but it, it's it, it's just a just in quotes a killing. No, there's there's a lot going on here that if you're going to try and look at it in the same way, it, it struggles for me when religion's tied into it too. Um, you know, is there a tie? I but mean, it seems like there's an ideological with with these shooters. Uh, you know, and I uh, white supremacist ideology, and what. My question is in terms of treating this like, I mean, I, I would go as far as to say that I'm sure that a fully funded terrorist cell that is uh, funded through international banks and things like that and communicated with in a very uh, high level uh, with upper level um, com- people in, in command is not the same as a, a white supremacist organization operating uh, somewhere in the rural South. I think that the 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 FBI with very little uh would would not as much as they would need to find Al Qaeda could could locate these men and women where they congregate online where they congregate in person in fact I, I, the the Parkland I think shooter that they can be located I, in know? fact the Parkland shooter had the police out to his home several times I mean it was very clear that the Parkland shooter was was mentally deranged I think I the FBI he wasn't back to school because uh they were so yeah uh they were concerned about him but yeah i mean what you know if if we'd seen a shooting and somebody had 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 an islamic manifesto and then executed it and then we had another one 12 hours later and executed it and then the week before at the garlic festival somebody had an, an islamic manifesto and then executed it uh i i don't know if everybody would be talking about mental health and prozac right now I think people would say that the terrorist cells have come alive. This will be weaponized politically. Uh, do you see what happens if you don't if you don't let me? You're not going to be safe. We need to get these. That's why there was a Muslim ban. I mean, Muslims were being banned without without this. Imagine the call to arms for a Muslim ban. If in the last seven days we've had three uh, three mass shootings by young men of 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 Arab descent. I think we're having a drastically different conversation, maybe not on this podcast because uh, we are men of a certain ilk and we rise above, but I don't trust the national media to rise above. I think that would be the biggest dividing line that we've had since the civil war. Am I wrong about this? Do doesn't the term radicalized get used a lot more in terms of terrorism? Where did the person get radicalized? Mm -hmm. Um, And here, in this instance, yes, Al, I think we're using the term mental illness a lot more. Um, and in a way, they, they do they kind of go hand in hand? Sometimes if you get radicalized, you don't have your... And I'm, I'm talking about extreme radicalization. You don't have... You're brainwashed. And you, you're not thinking the way we consider to be normal in our culture. And that, to me, almost sounds, I don't know if it's mental illness, but it's a mental change. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, there's a pretty, and I've read about this, the formula in terms of uh, the way a lot of white supremacists are recruited is they look for young men that are usually without a father or a strong family situation uh, that also kind of label themselves incels, meaning that they uh, have difficulty 
attracting women, uh, which causes them to become angry. They are then engaged by these people that say, hey, it starts with misogyny. You know, hey, Chris, hey, Frank, don't you hate these bras? They don't know how to take care of a real man. You're like texting back. Yeah, I feel you. That's why a good man like me is out here with no. And then from there it goes. And don't you hate the blacks? And it kind of starts from there. Uh, and that's where you, you get some from what I've read. That's how um, they initiate and kind of look for for new blood in those organizations. Uh, my question is, you know, we were talking about a Muslim ban when there was no Muslim terrorist attacks. What do you think the call for a ban would be if we had how many died in Gilroy last week? Three. So I, I can't even count the number of people that have died this week uh in in results of domestic terrorism but let's say it's 55 people something like that if we have 55 dead americans within seven days what do you think well the call for i, I would also be uh, I mean, maybe not dead but 57 people were shot this weekend in chicago i mean then that's not yeah. something that we talk about i mean we don't talk about i think overall our society is very violent and i think that we we have just accepted that for a long time because that's it, it. But now it's so in our face because of social media, because of just media in general. I think we're a much more empathetic society than we were even 20 years ago. Uh, and we want to solve this problem. I think the conversation is and has been, you know, should Gab exist? Should 4chan exist? Should these message boards where they organize exist? And the harder that people have tried to prohibit those particular forums the further underground these guys go and the less rational people there are i mean i'm not going to i'm not going to lie to you i know a lot of radical extremists but they're not violent people and over my 10 15 years in the libertarian movement i've run across a lot of these guys who are violent who are disconnected who have no meaning and they find hey by the way you just said guys they're Does all men yeah. be, it's yeah. that's an interesting it, it, uh, it, I definitely think testosterone has something to do with this, but Chris, yeah. let me let me ask you this really quickly because you you said something and it's a it's definitely a a a, a buzzword. I wouldn't say it's a um, a dog whistle, but Chicago gets brought up a lot, and I know you weren't doing it on purpose, but it mm -hmm. gets brought up by a lot of uh, you know right wing conservative groups saying, well, if you cared so much, you'd fix Chicago, fix Chicago. Chicago is the way to say it's it, in my opinion, it's a way to tell somebody don't comment on this until you fix your own community. Chicago uh, is, is a city that is awash in gang violence. Sure. Uh, but the, the, we, we always just say, yeah, well, how did that happen? Um, I think we all now see with how many how many states have legalized marijuana. I think it's happening in Illinois now. Uh, there was a conscious effort to uh, imprison uh, hundreds of thousands of black men uh, for minor drug offenses, uh, whether it be crack, which is basically a little bit of cocaine and some baking soda. Uh, but there weren't as heavy laws about cocaine. We watched the movie Blow. We watched Wolf of Wall Street. Cocaine was everywhere. Why isn't everybody that's on Wall Street in the 80s in jail? It, Why isn't it, everybody that was in Studio 69 in jail? To shift, uh, the com it, to, to shift the conversation, I absolutely didn't mean it the way that you meant it, to shift the conversation yeah. to, let's say, g gang violence and why young black men are dying at, at an alarming rate, it's because of the drug war. And if you go back to the origin of the drug war, in 1994, I believe, Ehrlichman, who was Nixon's chief of staff, gave an interview to Harper's where he said, you know, we couldn't criminalize being a leftist and we couldn't criminalize being black because of the Black Panthers, so we criminalized drugs and we cracked down on it to crack down on those two particular communities. And it was all by design, and it was racially motivated, and it is why 
we have such a destructive uh, force as anytime you increase prohibition of something, you create perverse incentives and gangs rise up. Look at Al Capone in the 20s. And so the conversation there is not not mental health necessarily. It's stop policing, stop doing police actions and cracking down on nonviolent crimes that create these perverse incentives. Was and it so, almost like redlining in the insurance industry? I mean, that's like we couldn't – like there, there's a racial – do you know what that is? Yeah. No, what, you know, what is redlining? Well, when they would – what they would do with insurance – insurance companies would do is they say, well, we can't charge black people or some ethnic group more, so we'll hit these areas that where these people live. So what you right. were saying there was – well, we can't criminalize this or this, so the drugs are what these communities are doing or is in this community or part of this community that we can um, go after, I guess. And it's almost like we're pretending that this is why, but this is what we're actually it's doing. Like, I mean, if we think about this, if you were a police sergeant and you wanted to go bust some people for drugs, let's say you were the sheriff of Tallahassee, Florida, every Friday you could go into the dorms and arrest 5,000 kids smoking pot at Florida State? Can you imagine how many kids are smoking pot as this podcast is going? How come they're not kicking in the doors at Yale, at party schools? Uh, you know, those are rich kids. You think there's no cocaine around there? It, it goes with the rich people. But we don't kick down those doors. We go and we get kids with a couple buds on them, and you throw a couple charges on them, and by the time – that they do do one thing at 1820, which we I think a lot of people are guilty of. They'll say, this kid's got a rap sheet as long as my arm. There, There's no such thing. You've never on the highway seen like four white girls, uh, you know, on their knees with their fingers interlocked. Are you telling me that they don't do drugs? They make up 51% of the population. They're, they're, there's drugs everywhere. Black women, white women, everybody does drugs. That's and I'm throwing alcohol in there for most people, except for Frank Caliendo. So uh, because of that, when you choose to police one part of the community, you, you, you know, you look at, you, you know, how it's looked at. Oh, it's just kids smoking a little pot. It's a running joke. Oh, I was a pothead in college. But if, if that's such a running joke, then why, don't, why are we arresting all these? There should be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of white college students in jail right now for marijuana related issues but there's not it seems to be only black men have you ever talked to a white girl and she goes yeah i just got busted for pot right it happens very rarely so uh you know so like when chicago's brought up it's just interesting that the interest the infrastructure was in that city was destroyed uh leaving behind a wake of generations and generations of men that never knew their father uh, we're forced to be breadwinners early. They can't work because there's nothing in their community. There's really just, uh, you know, the idea of maybe being an entertainer, trying to focus on school, or if you have immediate family needs, selling drugs for your family. Those are your options because the Chicago territory is, is, is life and death. And, you know, that they handle that no different than they handle territorial issues with Goodfellas, which is embraced. Or movies about the mob that's embraced. It's the same thing. It's just territory to be able to sell something illegal. But to compare Chicago to the mass shootings, I think a lot of times in Chicago, at least there are – it's fair in some ways. I'm assuming both sides have some type of weaponry. When you're shooting people at a garlic festival, when you're shooting people in a synagogue, when you're shooting people at a concert – 
that seems like it's a different thing. And so to conflate the two, I feel like it's to do an adjustment. I, I, I don't agree with you. I think if you look, you you pinged in both of those examples. You yourself said, listen, the, the breakdown of the family unit in both of these young men's lives, regardless of color, uh, it, it is it is uh, the breakdown of the family unit is a serious contributor to a lot of this behavior. It leads to a complete lack of uh, stability and security. And so, when somebody is in trouble, there isn't a family around them that can can help move them towards a place that doesn't end up in a very scary, dark place. I think we we take my point was and will always remain is that we don't want to actually look at a lot of these contributing factors to violence and we don't want to we want to we want to yell about it and be upset about it but we don't ever actually want to talk about the real causes because either we're too busy arguing stupid things or too busy being concerned about how we might look talking about these things there is it's also it's a conversation and very few people want to have it's those. a it's an uncomfortable conversation and i think you know talking about saying that there are common delineators between why does an ISIS member, uh, a young black man in Chicago, and a disaffected rural white kid, there there are commonalities of why those young men turn to violence. And so what is it about our society that we need to fix that for there are two kids here in Noblesville, one of the richest parts of Indianapolis, that just got arrested for aiding ISIS? And so this is young men turning to violence is an epidemic in our country, and there's a lot of different reasons why it happens. But we don't want to have those conversations because we're too busy yelling at each other over like everything's an abortion argument. When I was started in talk radio in 2004, we didn't talk about abortion, and it's because it got too real, it got too heated, it got too nasty. Now everything is that way, and everything's an abortion argument, and. And I think the first part of our conversation about the media is a contributing factor to it. And, you know, I'm not smart enough to, to give you an answer on how to fix all this. It just, you, I look at the trends and I go, there, there are commonalities on why people turn to violence. Let's identify those and then start applying them to different groups. Find out, okay, if you're a white rural kid in Texas or in Dayton, Ohio, what is going? What are some signs? What are some ways that we can educate parents, teachers, families, police officers, uh, you know, and then a moms? Uh, how 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 can we how can we understand the psychology of why does a young man turn to violence? Let's start there and build out a, a, a list of how that happens and start with that conversation because I think that would be much more beneficial than arguing. I'm going to take away your guns, or we shouldn't have Muslims live here, or. I just think that there is a larger conversation that we don't want to have because it's uncomfortable and it's not as fun, I guess. Well, how do you – this is another thing that I – you brought this up a couple times, Chris. You can't legislate family. And you as a person who who um, believes in less government, how would we even get there? I mean, I don't know – I don't know if there's a fix uh, there, there is a fix in the case of Chicago, for instance, and it stopped stop busting people for nonviolent crimes. In, in the case of why a lot of these, I mean, there are contributing factors in a lot of these cases that that we can take action. It may mean rolling back government in a lot of ways. In some ways, in the case of like getting more mental health facilities in the meantime until I can get my libertarian utopia, it might mean 
a change in the way that the the healthcare laws are written uh, to allow for more mental health access or so I think there are this is something I want to interrupt you here for yeah. a second. This is something that Eric Griffin hit on too that I found interesting. Two of the things that he said government should be more involved with are healthcare and the news. Um, or two things that should be less about profit, I guess. Maybe not government involved, but less about profit. They were healthcare and the news. And it's interesting how at least one of these, right now you're talking about healthcare, that's like, hey, let's get more government involved in there. Even for you who come from a libertarian way of thinking, that that, that, that hits you. Nixon's HMO Act was written by the, the hospitals, the drug companies, and it was a giveaway of government grants, and it really it put work, uh, your employer-based insurance into place. Like there, there are a lot of um, reasons for healthcare being so expensive and so profit-driven, and a lot of it has to do with legislation that was passed 20, 30, 40 years ago. So ultimately, it comes down to, in my opinion, Frank. The family unit. Is- I only like you to say when it's your opinion. When when it's when you use like a word that's like a trigger word. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the family unit I think is incredibly important. And the way when I look at ISIS, when I look at uh, the domestic terrorists, the the scary part I think for people is that there really isn't a solution. Violence will always be a part of human nature. This will, in some form or fashion, always exist in our society, and there's no way to get rid of of violent actions. I mean, you can get rid of all guns, but there's massive amounts of knife attacks in Britain, for instance. Like, the human heart... I mean, but would you rather be a victim of a knife attack or an AR-15 attack? I mean, obviously a knife attack, but I'd rather not die. I mean, <laughs> but the reality well, that's is that... The goal, the, but yeah, I mean, we always that's the this, BBC... Like, but we we always talk about this like yeah this is always going to exist in our society but but other uh other leaders uh, countrywide and other nations they don't have this problem i think in i read an article in 2016 uh the the police in the uk shot 16 bullets over the course of the year that's every officer with every gun 16 bullets total the entire year for the entire country japan i think has one or two murders in the last six or seven years. Uh, have you ever read uh, Japan's gun laws? They're very, uh, I, I used to know them almost all by heart, but they're basically like, uh, you have to be able to account for all the bullets. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, uh, a strict mental health check. They call your friends and family. They look at your f- former employers. They look at your social media. Uh, the gun and the bullets have to be sh- uh, stored in a separate place. There are people that come by and randomly check on your guns. Uh, and at every three years, you have to renew for your license, which means going through an extensive uh, written test and shooting test. And because of that, they don't have these same kinds of issues. So like when it's said so casually, well, this is just something that happens. This is just something that is. I'm like, but no, this isn't in, in the other countries that we look as our look at as our peers. This doesn't happen, except in the in the random case of New Zealand, which was, again, another white supremacist. I, I mean, how do you when you have. Uh, what is it? Three guns for every person in the United States. How do you effectively collect all of those guns? How do you effectively? And I, my brother-in-law, I, I, we argued about this Friday night actually, and he's like, "Gun confiscation is not the goal." I go, "It's been that. It's been the result. The the end goal 
in in every other industrialized country, the difference with America is that a sort of like the healthcare argument. It's like, well, Luxembourg has medical uh, socialized medicine. It's like, yeah, they have seven hundred thousand people. America is an enormous country with a lot of guns and a gun culture going back to its founding. It the the argument that you can get rid if you get rid of guns you will get rid of gun violence is just not a solution. It's not a realistic solution. It's it's just something that uh, I, I'm sorry. I I I completely understand your your view that if you didn't have guns you wouldn't have these problems. But I am not of the opinion that you can confiscate every gun in the United States. You're going to get guns from law-abiding citizens, and you're not going to get them from the people that do uh, peddle in white supremacy or gang violence or or whatever. Like, there's just no I, realistic I, I, path I friend, to gun guys, confiscation. Guys, I had a friend from Ireland who was very conservative, which was interesting to me, and that's why he liked the United States more because he could. He said he. This is what he said in his opinion. Chris, mm-hmm. he could be more conservative uh, here in the United States, but he also agreed. He said, it's kind of what you're saying, Chris, where you had the guns already. The problem in quotes is that the guns were here and they've been here for so long. You can never get to the point where the guns weren't allowed in the first place. Right. That's the difficult thing in some of these other places. And you also said, um, Al, we're talking about Japan. That's a, it, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. It's a very homogenous group in Japan, right? It's mostly Japanese people. There's less cultural um, battling going on. Is it more of a s- similar religion? And that's the way it's always been explained to me. And I, I, I and correct me if I'm wrong on it, listeners. Any anybody? I, I don't want to be spewing out wrong. I think it's fair for you to say that Japan is full of Japanese people. I think <laughs> well, that's, <fair. laughs> that's that that's PC. Um, yes, I don't. No, think but I, get a lot I of think a lot of that. a lot of our things. And Al, we've had the discussion after we had uh, Chris on the last time, and we, we probably have to wrap up. I mean, we've gotten really in depth into a lot of things here. We have about three episodes worth, and that's rare for a Chris Spangle episode. <laughs> um, but thank you, Chris. I could do I, another I do three hours. It. Let's do this. No, I, I know. know. I, it's I love it's it. great. I mean, we we got into parts we didn't know we'd get into, um, and I, I I've learned a lot. Um, Frank, finish your point on uh, homogenized society. I was interested in that. But I think it goes to with. Um, the point that we made about libertarianism in general, Al and I have talked about this um, a few times after talking with you the first couple of times, Chris. In a rural community in the, uh, let's say, United States, in maybe let's just pick Nebraska, where neighbors aren't that close to each other, it's much easier to be libertarian and not go and get into your neighbor's business and stuff like that than in New York City where everybody's on top of each other and your rights are constantly Uh, overlapping somebody else's rights. Mm. And thus there is more of a potential for conflict in that, Mm. in that huge city type of situation, as opposed to, like I said, in the country rural situation where people are just bumping into each other when they want to. So in Japan, I know, which is much busier, but you have less of cultures going back and forth and almost, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but most wars and battles on, that seem to be on earth, or a lot of them, tend to go back to religions and religion and people fighting to spread their religion and my religion and, and uh, tribalism and my people are different than your people. It's when people, you know, they just 
think their way is better a lot of the time or trying to persuade people to be more like them as opposed to letting them be who they are and not trying to affect them. Well, that's the fact, if I may, Al. Please. People like to control other people because they usually can't control themselves. And so they seek out political power to control other people. And power is really why conflict takes place. And I do see your point in like a more urbanized area you, you the turnover of faces that you see is so much greater it's daily as opposed to living in let's say Mayberry for instance where you get to know the 500 people that you're around and you can build trust with those people over a long period of time because you see those same people over and over and not a lot of turnover and so there may be a greater need in an in an urban setting where you feel like I need to control these people because I don't know who, you know, you, you don't really have those long-standing connections. I've only ever lived in Indianapolis, which is only the 12th largest city. You guys live in much bigger places than I do. You tell me if I'm crazy. Well, I, no, it's not that you're crazy. I, I, you know, I think it has to do with population, again, with your incentive as to behave correctly. If, let's say, maybe, let's keep uh, the, with the Mayberry analogy, I'm the only black man in in Mayberry, and I see you, and um, I let my dog, I walk my dog two miles to your place and let him poop on your lawn, and you see it, and I look at you, and I thumb my nose, and I walk away. Well, you're one of two people that I'm probably going to see on a regular basis, so I am de-incentivized to to disrespect your property like that because it it would just be more advantageous to me to have a neighbor that likes me for every reason. But Chris, uh, I also I also think here, and I'm sorry to no go ahead. This, this is a great point of you have acquiesced some things, and you call it the utopia of uh, libertarianism. You know everything isn't 100 percent possible, and that's a common sense approach. That's like what that. I really like about you is even there are some things that you say are in my opinion, and you. Uh, are factual about and you have all kinds of information and history but one thing you try to come from and i believe you are coming from is common sense especially in your own mind um and i that's almost sounds like a negative uh, but i don't think of it that way i think of it as commonsensical that's great when you come from common sense at least we can disagree on something any one of us and go well this is where I'm coming from. And to me, this is common sense. And somebody else could say, well, it's common sense from that perspective, but maybe not this particular perspective. And that's what I really like about what you're saying. And what I really like about where you're coming from, even from the quote unquote libertarian party is you said, well, here's some things that would be in a utopia, but they're just not possible. And that's why I want people to listen to you because you do come from that perspective. You're not trying to tell people, hey, this is the way it has to be. You're saying, just look at it from this perspective, and then at least we can have the discussion after that. Yeah. And I'm sorry to have cut you off, Al, but that I, you I, I appreciate that. you both for your compliments. It's very kind of you. And coming from you both, uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you both. And so the, the nice words are, are uh, very appreciated by me. I try to – I don't think that you can solve – like if, if you have a fundamental disagreement with coercion, which is forcing people to do what you want to do, uh, and you believe that the right way to structure society is through persuasion, and, and Al nailed it, it's like your incentive is to, to act like a good neighbor. Your incentive is to – and incentives are everything, and that's why – 
typically a government bureaucracy doesn't function as well as maybe a Fortune 500 company. It's because a Fortune 500 company can quickly and easily restructure incentives for the individuals in their organization, whereas a government, it's a lot longer and harder to change incentives. Um, and so I just find that to be a better way to structure society and organize people. And so as a result, it's like me trying to uh, bully or con control you the way that you think i like i'm just here to to persuade people like i don't think that it, it, it's it's good practice to try and force your beliefs on other people like i fully admit that i don't know everything i just try to know a lot of stuff and i don't think i'm always right i mean it's happened once or twice that i've been wrong but <laughs> um yeah so i don't believe it <laughs> but yeah i just think you know and i'm open to listening i think you know for for me like I, i'm on a, a podcast now with miss pat you guys probably both know Miss Pat, yes. the comedian, and it's called The Pat Down. And Miss Pat grew up in Atlanta. In uh, she like didn't have any white friends till she was in her thirties when she moved to my hometown, and then she was like culture shocked because it was such a massive different, you know. But I grew up in a town that had the national meeting place for all Quakers. It was a major stop for the Underground Railroad. Party town, yeah, and so. You know, I grew up in a place that I've talked with uh, the local librarian about this because I, we lived in a bubble. Like we didn't have I, it was ninety eight percent white and the two percent was Muslim, and so race was not something we ever had to think about. For instance, and then once once I when I when I got out into the world, I went, "Wow, okay, this racism thing really is a bigger problem than I ever expected." You know, because I grew up in a place that just really didn't. It, generationally had been passed down the idea that everyone is equal and to be respected and protected and justice and equality and these are important values for our community you know so i think once you once you get out into the world you you know my co-host is uh, a black man named harry and he's you know talking with him he goes spangle you really don't get it when you leave the house and when i leave the house it's totally different and the psychology is different, and it's just different. You know, my female friends, when I when I am at the gym, the feeling of being uh, prey is much different than you. You probably never felt like prey, and I'm like, you're right. I have never felt like prey ever uh, sexually. So, I mean, there, <laughs> there's for just... yourself. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I so I think we all have to f come from a place that everybody else has a different perspective. They were raised in different ways. They have different views on different things. They have different experiences, different incentives, different motivators. And I don't fault people who are democratic socialists. They just have a different set of maybe information or views or backgrounds than I do. So you just have to talk it through and kind of get to a place where, okay, why do you think this? You know, but I, I always try Which to... Which is what we try to yeah. do on the show. And one thing that uh, Chris, you and I disagree on are the the cues of we need to wrap up this show. Um, right. <laughs> wow. Al, did, was there anything? <laughs> this is going to be one. I, I'm I'm going back and forth with Toledo, our producer, because he's been on the whole time with me, and he's like, "Should we make this two parts?" Um, this is something we'll have to discuss afterward because we don't usually go this long. I'm almost thinking about this podcast being, um, you know, the first part, and then we. Uh, where we talk about things in general and then get to the gun discussion yeah. and stuff like that as a second part. Although that'll be much later That's news what I'm saying. We, we, at that yeah, point. That. So maybe we just tell people the first half is 
we may leave it as one larger episode. You'll you guys will all find out sooner right. or later. Time and if you just put some time cues yeah. down uh, when we when we post it, well, people yeah, can well, there's go to the part of the conversation we could also to. flip it so the second part of the discussion because I don't know how much was needed for the first part. No, um, we'll, we'll, Toledo, Toledo, go back and take a look. It's it's kind of its own episode and might be able to go out on its own. And I might just be Al and I, or I might be able to set it up early. I thought we were and, wrapping it up. Yeah. Well, I'm just letting you know most of this part's getting cut out. <laughs> Al, was there anything that you wanted to add before I cut you off and then uh, gave the uh, <laughs> gave the gavel to Chris for four hours? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, you know, we we talked about my points. So I'm good. All right. So. Follow Chris Spangle on uh, various forms of social media. Chris, give them everything where they can find you and your podcasts and anything else that is Chris Spangle. Yeah, just go to wearelibertarians.com and then search my name on anything. Feel free to follow me. And we are at Alan Frank uh, across uh, various platforms on social media. And you can find Al at Al Jackson IG on Instagram at Al Jackson uh, on Twitter, I believe, at Frank Caliendo for me, Al at alanfrank.com or frank at alanfrank.com if you want to email us. And uh, listen, uh, Chris, it's always, uh, I'd say a blast, but it's not so much a blast. Yeah, it's it an education. The 1940s dance. <laughs> I, that's where I'm coming from. I truly always look forward to uh, me and Al talking with you because I do feel like I learn a lot. I think a lot of your the way you think overlaps with ways I think. And I think different things that you think even overlap with Al sometimes. And we all come together. But this that's what the point of this is, is we, we have different perspectives. We all come in, have a discussion, and don't have a fight. And that's what we're looking for. Well, uh, is that an, is that a deleted scene from Remember the Titans, Frank? That was a very <laughs> unifying message. <laughs> That's what I like to do. I like to bring people together. And now I'm going to divide you. <laughs> uh, right. I do have to say I've never been more embarrassed in my life than realizing after the second time I was on, we hung up and I did a Trump impression in front of Frank Caliendo and I realized how incredibly stupid I looked. So No, that's... that's uh, do you know how many people have challenged Jordan to a game of one-on-one? That's you're, right. You're, you're just It happens to I, the best Let's of us. not compare me to Jordan again. <laughs> <laughs> we both know you're better. <laughs>